morning. Good morning. And good morning. So um, the title of my talk is uh, Beyond the Limitations of Dualistic Thinking. So we need dualistic. Tim is not Ben. Ben is not Tim. We need dualistic. The ceiling is not the floor. The floor is not the ceiling. But also dualistic thinking can really limit us, can really confine us if, we're, if it becomes too rigid. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite quotes from a long time ago was from the third ancestor, Song Song, in China. <clears throat> Do not seek after the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. Do not seek after the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. So um, we use our opinions to try to control life, others, the world. <clears throat> uh, but we can't control what's happening. In case you haven't noticed, we can't control what's happening in others or the world or with the uh, COVID keep coming back. We can't control that. We can't. But we can control what we think or feel about. We can do that. We can control it. That in in and Soto Zen would be called Jiriki practice, self-power practice. We, we can't control that stuff. The National Science Foundation, <clears throat> um, I got this online for my talk. I mean, get everything online now, right? The National Science Foundation, not to say chat GPT. I did not use it. I, I want to say that I did not use chat GPT for this talk. But when I do use ChatGP for talks, I admit it. I pass out to it. Anyway, the National Science Foundation said the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Of these, 80% are negative and 95% are exactly the same repetitive thoughts as the day before. Ever notice that? And about 80% of those are negative. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So that's the radically dualistic thinking that we get caught that causes us so much suffering, so much suffering. And one form of radically dualistic thinking is all or nothing thinking, always or never thinking. <clears throat> I'm gonna read these examples twice. Any day with a rough patch is a bad day. That was a bad day. It had a rough patch. That was a bad day. Because I didn't get recognized at work and the others did, I'm a bad employee. If partner forgets my anniversary, they don't love me. They don't love me. Real friends always know how to cheer me up. This is all or nothing thinking. This is always never thinking. And this gets us into either anxiety or the doldrums or both. And so we need to see when we're doing this. We need to see it. What we tell ourselves affects not only the way we think, but how we feel and how we act and how we're in the world. We create this reality, our reality. And fortunately or unfortunately, now we could say that it's fortunate because it's a way that our species has survived up until now. Uh, we overlearn from the negative experiences. We overlearn to protect ourselves. But we underlearn from the positive ones. We underlearn from the positive ones. So the what we what we do in our practice is acknowledge and monitor our self-talk. The worst liars are our fears. <laughs> Now, sometimes they're not lying, but according to this data, they do a lot of lying. They're the worst liars, our fears. And the second words are getting stuck on anything, any belief, any opinion. Do not seek after the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. 
So here's a, a vignette from uh, Hawkwind's encounter with a monk. A monk once asked Hawkwind, Zen Master Hawkwind, famous uh, Japanese Zen Master, uh, is reincarnation real? Hmm. Oh, good thing to ask the teacher. Hawkwind replied, some people think it is, others don't believe in it. I don't know. But you're a Zen Master, shouldn't you know? says the monk, incensed, and Hawkwind says, yes, you're right. <laughs> I do know. After we die, we become a cow in a field, <laughs> then a dog, and finally a chicken. <laughs> what are you doing? We reborn as a human. The monk was puzzled. But isn't that reincarnation? Hawkwind smiled. Maybe so, maybe not. Yeah. And the monk left. Find another teacher. <laughs> so we can notice when we're stuck, when we're stuck on a thought or a feeling, we can notice that we can recognize it and accept it and let it pass. The brain rebels in the presence of maybe not, maybe so. The brain doesn't like that, <laughs> but often that's what it is. Since the brain doesn't like that, it develops a blueprint, and more often than not, a negative blueprint. It actively generates a blueprint based on our projections, based on our projections. So uh, here's a semi-fictional student I had, tenor. 15 or 20 years ago, named Joe. Joe moved here from California. Who would ever move to Minnesota from California? That is really <laughs> Joe moved here from California. And uh, after he moved here, his father died in California. And Joe said to me, well, he partly, partly I think he died because I abandoned him and my family. I was the oldest, and I just uh, just left and moved to Minnesota. And then he went on and said, I'm scarred by that. And my younger siblings may be scarred, too. But then we talked about it, and he admitted he was stuck on this blueprint. He was stuck on it, that he was responsible, and the belief that he'd messed up the entire family. And that he was then indirectly responsible for his own dad's death. That that was his blueprint. But maybe not, maybe so. It means he has the potential to open up to both ends. Both ends. Everything and everyone is part of this vast inner being. This dependent co-arising. Let's see, what I, I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, I, 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 I can write it correctly, praticca samutpada, praticca samutpada, dependent co-arising. Well, Thich Nhat Hanh is so good at simplifying things. He just says inner being. Why do we have to say dependent co-arising, <laughs> praticca samutpada, just inner being, right? He's a, he's a master. He was a master, or maybe he had some really good editors, but he was humble enough to listen to them. So what about our Buddha nature? Oh, I'm always talking about our still nature inside, our Buddha nature. Oh, it's so still. But that can be pretty dualistic, right? Tim's got the still nature. I don't have the still nature. Well, what about T.S. Eliot? He says, the still point, there the dance is. The dancing is the still point. The still point is the dancing. The movement <laughs> is the still point. Of course, of course. But we glom down on the stillness. Or maybe we like the dancing better. We glom down on the... And yet when we're really with the dancing, the stillness is here. It's here anyway. It's just our, our, our mind-forged manacles that off denial. 
So how do we move from stuck belief um, to more of a found? Well, of course, meditation, of course, meditation. Uh, 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 at the end of my talk, I'll talk about a couple more, a couple of things besides meditation. And classically, meditation is divided into shamatha, focus meditation, concentration meditation, and vipassana, which I happen to translate just because I, I get away with it as shikantaza or bare awareness. Shikantaza or bare awareness. <clears throat> and if you go back and look at the early stuff, it's as good a translation as anything. <clears throat> So bear awareness or shikantaza. That's what I was taught as a young man at Sensen. Just to sit. No technique allowed. No technique. You just sit and look at that wall. <laughs> that was what my teacher Suzuki Roshi was like in my early years. So if we just sit and look at the wall, as some of you um, are more familiar doing than others, um, uh, we have a, our brain develops a new frame of reference, but that's no frame of reference. So that's no frame of reference. And that's disorienting. That's what we want. We much prefer shamatha type practices. We much prefer focus type practices. Because <laughs> who wants to just sit and look at a wall? <laughs> So since I'm a psychologist, uh, and those of you who read my books or heard my Dharma talks, know that I separate shikantaza into different steps, but not that you should consciously do, that just kind of happen organically. And it may not happen this way to you. Uh, but if you're really doing a lot of sitting, uh, uh, perceptions that com comprise your old body surface, the reality that you'd carry around, they surface, they come up. And um, for instance, with Joel, what came up during his first session here, and after that, he said he didn't think he wanted to do any more. But he did. <laughs> he said, I, I saw that I completely let down my father and siblings and should give up becoming a mental health counselor. Oh, he saw that. He saw that. And that's the first one to let the perceptions come, the old, all the old perceptions come come through. Just to let them come through. And then secondly, to see if there is emotion under underneath. And in his case, there was anger and confusion. But there may or may not be emotion. Some of us are more emotionally oriented, some of us are, are more thought-oriented. And then recognize by looking at that wall that we don't need those perceptions anymore. We don't need them. And, we, and it's fine. We just say to ourselves, we don't need them. But they keep coming back. They keep coming back. So I call this, I think I got this from my teacher. I'm not sure. Watching the movie. You just watch the movie. It's going to play the same scenes over and over again. <laughs> it's, oh, oh, I've seen that movie 32 times. <laughs> just watch the movie. Let's watch the movie and notice that they that they begin to not be as painful as they were. Notice that, but you really have to watch it. You have to see. Uh, in, in the case of Joe's case, he had to see that or feel what it felt like to have his dad die when he was here and not there as the oldest child for the family, and as the mental health counselor who should have been there for the family. That was his obligation. So he saw that, he felt that. And then he recognized after a while, after seeing the movie over and over again, that he didn't need those perceptions anymore. Now they still came back, but much more pale, much, much not so uh, intense. Of these old movies, some of my some movies I still run from like when I was 10 years old when Gary McFarland did something to hurt me. I'm still coming up. 
Oh, maybe I'm getting senile, but they came up. They came up when I was 70 and 62. So maybe I am senile. But that's just a word. That's just a label, just another label. Actually, well, I won't get into that. <laughs> um, uh, so we watched the movie and they drains, drains these perceptions, this old way of thinking about things of its power. And we don't need to protect ourselves so much. That's what happens through Shikantasa. That's what happens through, through this technicalist meditation of just looking at the wall. So again, we let the perceptions that comprise our whole reality emerge. We acknowledge the emotions that underlie them. We recognize that we don't need those perceptions anymore. And if both persist, we just watch them. We just watch them. And then Suzuki used to say, there's a point when you don't have to get up on the stage and try to change the movie. We all, when will that be? And he said, well, don't think about when that'll be. Just, just sit facing the wall. And sometimes he would leave the room during Zazen and seem to lose track of the time. <laughs> it was annoying. I mean, we thought, well, what, is he going to come back? Look at the stupid wall. <laughs> we knew he was absent-minded, so we thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he always came back and rang the bell. <clears throat> so the results of this practice are doing what I'm talking about, the bare awareness, are what Tara Brock calls radical acceptance and what Suzuki Roshi calls embracing things as it is. Embracing things as it is. Doesn't mean that Joe's not happy about his decision to come at the wrong time. He, he chose the wrong time to come, but he didn't know his dad was gonna die. To blame himself for that is pretty silly, pretty silly. So he sees this flame, he sees the resistance, and he just was able to embrace things as it things as it is. And our mind clears up. Yeah, our mind clears up. <laughs> our heart opens. So our goal is to develop perceptions that are consistent with who we are now and the life we want to lead, as well as the emotions we want our lives infused with. Instead of, I can't ever be effective as a mental health counselor, is what Joel said. I did this. I shouldn't be a mental health counselor. But I said, you know, you can become more effective, Joel, because you have this experience. <clears throat> it's true. It's true. So that's bare awareness. And then the second kind of meditation is focus meditation. Shamatha, concentration, and the eighth step of the Eightfold Path, concentration meditation. And um, uh, in one of my books, I talk about my first teacher, Suzuki Roshi's trans transition. First, he just taught, she taught Shikantasa. Just talk, she come to us. But then he saw, this is what I think he saw, I don't know, that people left and didn't come back. <laughs> that they asked for technique, and he said, well, just, well, I already showed you techniques. Just get your posture straight, get your eyes aligned, <laughs> but use the cosmic mudra. <laughs> he saw they weren't coming back, so he began teaching us to follow our breathing. And then he, after a while, he began to teach us to, to actually count our breathing because he saw we were still having problems. And then later, three years later, he gave me a mantra and other people a mantra to use. What, a mantra? What's that have to do with Zen? What has to do with Shikantaza? Skillful means, but just adjusting what he, he, see, he saw we needed. 
So focus meditation, focus meditation. And I'm going to talk a little bit about mantra meditation now, which I've talked about before. I talk about it in my third book. Um, so uh, um, uh, Suzuki, as I said, gave me a mantra. I'll talk a little bit more about that today. Um, and after I began using that mantra, I remember that before I started meditating, uh, and I talk about this in one of my books too, uh, before I started meditating, I didn't know what meditation was. I was reading this book, The Teachings of the Mystics by Walter T. Stace, and I came across this phrase that supposedly was attributed to Jesus. There's a peace that passes understanding that's larger than understanding. So I began repeating that to myself. Peace that passes understanding. I didn't know that we didn't, mantras, I hadn't studied any of this stuff, but I began repeating that. It calmed me down, it calmed me down. And I repeated it more and more and more and more. I even quit going to classes at my college because <laughs> I was so into it. Well, I don't recommend that, but I did that. Did that. Oh, you can do that. <laughs> I went back. <laughs> So I was doing mantra practice from the first few months before I met Suzuki Roshi, and I didn't know it. And it really helped, it really calmed me down and opened me up so that I wasn't caught by the static, which is why we do focus meditation, so we won't be caught by the static. Sometimes bare awareness just overwhelms us. Yeah. And we should do some focus meditation, breathing, counting, breathing, or even mantra. And so, uh, etymologically, mantra, like flint on stone, friction between the syllables, lights the fire, shifts our interstate, burns through the turmoil and incessant mental chatter. So, but we have to come back again and again to the phrase, again and again, again and again. It's good, it's good. It's good to balance bare awareness meditation and focus meditation. Good balance. Good balance. <clears throat> so the first um, mantra that I, Suzuki Roshi gave me was Gate, Gate, Para Gate, Para Sam Gate, Bodhisattva. No, you didn't give me the Bodhisattva. <laughs> and that was very helpful when I was having a very difficult time in a session. If you do a long sashin, as some of you just did, and you you probably will have a very difficult time. So if you don't have a diff, diff, very difficult time, you're just spacing out. <laughs> well, you can do that. I used to do that. You know, <laughs> talk about watching a movie. <laughs> you know, distract yourself. If we do a mantra, we should just do one and stay with her for a while. Not just switch around because you're always trying to find the best mantra, the one true mantra. Of course, we do say the heart sutra mantra is the one true mantra. Take that with a grain of salt, please. <laughs> stay with it. Stay with it. Recite it every day for a month. And then see. Really stay with it, recite it every day for a month. And don't try to focus too hard on it. Simply allow your body and mind to relax into it. Relax into it. I began before I ever began meditation, even knew what meditation was. I just relaxed into a peace and spaciousness. I didn't know it was humanly possible. And I told my father about it. He said, this is just your self-hypnosis. He said, it's not possible to have a deep calmness. This is just self-hypnosis that those Christians do. My dad was an atheist. Well, of course, the Buddhists do it too.
And mantra practice can also be a form of tariki, other power. So we say, oh, in Zen, we don't pray. We're praying all the time. We're praying. Think of all the chants we do. We're just going to do the four vows, the four vows, excuse me, the four vows at the end, four vows, four vows. <laughs> we're, we're praying, we're bowing. Tariki, other power props. Uh, so uh, in my pocket, I have my mala, which I really do not use very much, but this is my mala. This is the Buddhist rosary, which many of you are familiar with and I've talked about before, and I talk about in my third book, <clears throat> which I came to late, but I'm not going to talk about Mala Kinti. <clears throat> um, uh, so my, my grandmother, on one side of my family, was an Irish Catholic, and I've talked about her a lot, not always in the nicest terms, but today I'm just going to say sweet things. <laughs> She was, she was actually a mentor for me. She was a real mentor for me. So she was an Irish Catholic, and then she left the Irish. She left the church because she was a rebel. Uh, and she thought, oh, too much sin. I don't want all this sin and confession and confession and sin. And so she left. But then she came back. By the time she was my grandma, she'd come back to the church. But she'd come back on her own terms, <laughs> on her own terms, which is interesting. She wanted my mother to, to stick with it. My mother said, no, I, you know, I'm marrying an atheist. That's the end. <laughs> well, anyway, my grandmother uh, would uh, work her rosary. She would work her rosary a lot. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. She worked that over and over. And she ended there. It says, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. She said, well, I'm leaving Jesus out of this. <laughs> it's, it's the womb of Mary that we all come from. We don't need Jesus. And then I said, but isn't there something about sin in there too? And she said, yeah, but I leave that off. I'm making this up. Later, I took her to meet Suzuki, as I, I talk about her. So she did that. She did that with her rosary. She worked it every day, every day. Although she said her mind was, she said, dear, I can't meditate. The way you meditate, just sitting facing the wall, I can't do that. Plus, I'm too old to learn that, but I can work my rosary. Well, if you really give yourself to it, it's that different from meditation? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Prajnaparamita, the womb of all life. Blessed, blessed. Bless. So I'm going to uh, end talking about the mantras with a story I haven't told too much lately, but I think I have told at least, I don't know, over the last 20 years, five times. Just making that up. So um, uh, this, takes, this story takes place in Russia, and uh, there is a... Um, uh, uh, a bishop uh, in Russia who, who's, uh, and uh, a pilgrim who wants to uh, sink into this deep quietness of, of Jesus, wants to sink into it. So he, he decides he's going to devote his life to sinking into it. And he goes to see the bishop to get to tell the, ask the bishop for a prayer. And the bishop gives him a prayer. And the uh, pilgrim goes off very sincerely, reciting the prayer. How many of you heard me tell this story before? Two, three, four, five. Okay. <laughs> well, you five guys can just <laughs> enjoy hearing it again. Um, 
So uh, he goes off, and um, uh, a year or so later, the bishop is looking out on the lake. It's in the summer, and the pilgrim is approaching the hill where the bishop has his, um, you know, what is his quarters, and the the, uh, the pilgrim is is very uh, kind of present, and he's so present that he's walking on water. So, like, <laughs> so he gets the other side of the lake, and 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 the bishop's attendant rushes down to see him, and the and the attendant says, "I want to see the bishop. Can I see the bishop again?" And and the attendant said, "Oh yes." Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bishop has been looking out the window. You know? <laughs> and so he, he comes up to see the bishop, and he says to the bishop, uh, Father, I, I've been following what... Now remember, he doesn't, he doesn't know high Russian. He's only a peasant, so he knows low Russian, whatever low Russian is. <laughs> so he says, Father, I've been repeating what you told me to. But I'm just not sure I've got it right. And, and, if, and the, the bishop says, well, son, just tell me what you're repeating. He said, I'm repeating, may dog have mercy on my soul. And the, and the bishop says, yes, that's right. I'll, I'm going to follow you. And the bishop takes off his bishop costume and follows the pilgrim out, off into the sunset. That's the story. So... Mantras can be good. Prayers can be good. As long as we don't try to try to get fixated on some some opinion about this being the right mantra and that being the wrong. Anything you give your heart to that resonates with you at a deep level can be your mantra. So in addition to meditation, and the other things I'm just going to touch on, Actional understanding, which I talk about in my third book. That's Dogen's phrase, actional understanding. That's translated by He Jin Kim. And I don't know, I've been trying to figure out what's he, what the translate, how he, you know, what the words are. Actional understanding. So we have an understanding, we have, but we need to move beyond it to live. Even if it's a good understanding, we need to move beyond it to live to actualize it, to bring it alive. So uh, I had a student in my Dogen class when I was teaching He Jin Kim uh, on Dogen years ago. And uh, she said to me uh, in one-to-one, -one, I can't stand Minnesota winners. They always make me depressed. And uh, I, well, I didn't say anything smart. I could have said something smart. Uh, I said to her instead, well, can you remember anything uh, you grew up here, anything in your childhood that you liked about Minnesota winters? She said, yeah, I used to love ice skating, but only when it was above zero. But I loved it. And I said, oh, well, uh, you've been, we've been practicing actual understanding. Do you know where your ice skates are? And she said, yes. I haven't put them on. I don't know if they'll fit me. I said, well, go out and try ice skating. So she did. She did. And all of a sudden, she didn't say anymore. I can't stand Minnesota winners. They always make me depressed. She said, I don't like Minnesota's, Minnesota winners very well. And they bring me down. But I love ice skating in them outdoors. So progress, right? No longer caught. Actual understanding, actualizing, live it, live it. What's the point of learning a sutra, learning a phrase? You don't actualize it. Practice, second one is practicing positive self-talk. Don't say anything to yourself you wouldn't say to anyone else. Don't say anything to yourself you wouldn't say to anyone else. Don't say anything to yourself you wouldn't say here in the Zendo. But don't be too strict about it. Yeah. If you are, just just you know, just practice open, bare awareness, or come back to your mantra. Because <clears throat> sometimes we will do that. 
And then a lot of people lately that I've been working with, I never did this myself, I've been doing gratitude journals, compensating for the negatives rattling around in their brain by doing a 10 minutes of gratitude journal every day. That's pretty cool. So anyway, we can all, let's see what time is it? I see. We can all open up beyond these limitations of our rigid dualistic thinking to inner being, which is what is anyway, what we are anyway. What's <clears throat> We can all do that. So that's what I want to say this morning. And uh, looks like there are time. There is time for questions or comments. And I'll start with people online. Um, and then I'll move to people in the room and I'll come back and we'll see. We'll see. Usually it seems to take people a little while to get going. So, those of you who are online, there are, there are 43 of you. Anybody? Who would like to, I better not say anybody, who would like to say something? Who would like to ask a question or, or share something? Hey, all, can you hear me? Uh, yes, but I need you to talk loud. Is that David? Yeah, David. Uh, Lucian. Who? Lucian. Okay, Lucian. Yeah. Uh, can you show your face? It will be easier and, and speak loudly. Oh, there you are. Hey, good to see you. Um, I just wanted to thank you, Tim, for your talk. It was good to see you. And, um, you know, I really missed the Sangha, so it was really good to see you. So oh, thank you for allowing me to listen. Oh, you're very welcome. Where are you, Lucian? Right now I'm in Brooklyn Center. I moved away from my mom's place and I'm at a recovery facility sort of kind of a recovery facility, but uh, I don't know. I'm just living and I'm doing pretty well, I think. Oh, good. Good to, good to hear from you. Thank you, Lucian. Thank you. Uh, um, well, I'm going to move right to Benton. Yeah, it's funny to say that I agree with you completely that if you don't like Minnesota winters, you got to find a winter sport. Then you look forward to the snow. Uh, uh-huh, good. Did, could you guys hear what he said? Online, could you hear him? Raise your hand if you could hear him. Oh, they could all hear you. Yes. What's your what's your runner sport of choice? Snowboarding. Snow snowboarding? Yeah. Oh wow. I used to teach at Afton. You used to teach snowboarding. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Other people online. Hello. Davey here. Oh, oh hi, Dave. Is that Davey? Davey, yes. All right. So I, uh, that, the question about reincarnation, uh, for me, I have a way that I've addressed that. Ah. Uh, combining the ideas of interconnectedness and no self, I don't think of myself particularly reincarnating. I think of the good or bad seeds that I leave behind. And so I have vowed to live in loving kindness as much as I can so that I can leave as many positive seeds be behind that will be reincarnated that pe with people that are still living. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, people in the room, people here. Julian. Yeah, I'll say that cross-country skiing oh. is my sport. It is uh, cheaper. And, uh, it is easier than uh, than snowboarding. Yeah. At the same time, it's a much more vigorous workout. Okay. And I thought that what? inspiration. Yeah. When I go out, uh, yeah. Worth Park. It's inspiring. Oh, yeah. Is that what you ski at Worth Park? Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to love to ski. Uh, on this side still, I think I saw his hand somewhere. Uh, Matt. He read a confession briefly. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up Catholic and I went through reconciliation in second grade. I thought that was a pretty early time. <laughs> um, but I do like the idea of that. I like it a lot. And um, I think we usually say like repentance. So do you want to speak at all about like bottom repentance? How repentance is kind of important, you know, once uh -huh. are okay with Uh-huh. Well, so uh, could you guys hear hear him? Raise your hand if you could hear him. Uh, some could hear him. Not everybody could. Could you just say it one more time a little louder? He just want me to speak about repentance. He wants me to speak about repentance. Well, first of all, I don't like the word. <laughs> I don't like the word because I, I'm my father's son. And my father thought this is all about sin and being bad. And these Catholics are just out, you know, they're just. Well, anyway, he was, he was, I don't know how my mother and he got together, but she left the church as soon as she met my father. So that's how they got together. She was probably ready to leave the church. Uh, anyway, I don't like the term, but I do like, we do need to avow. Uh, our karma, uh, when we've hurt someone uh, collectively or individually, avowing our karma, I heard, I did these things. I, I did these. Now, when Joe came to Minnesota, uh, he didn't need to repent coming, but he didn't have a, a cordial goodbye to his father, and he needed to avow that. He needed to apologize to himself, and to the world, and ultimately, he wanted to apologize to his father, but his father was dead. But that's, uh, he needed to avow that, and, and we could say ask for forgiveness, but the minute we totally avow, oh, I did this, and we accept it, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. The moment we really say, oh, so sorry I hurt you from the bottom of our hearts we're forgiven we're forgiven now they have in buddhism we have formless repentance and form repentance i'm not going to talk about that but anyway that's i think repentance without that word is very important does that how does that sit with you matt yeah that's good i've heard it described as admission admission yeah oh yeah. Uh -huh. yeah that's okay a vowel i don't know the translation of vowel is the one we use I don't know. Thank you. I always, you know, I, I when we started doing this, we never used to devour our karma in the early days. But when we started doing it, as I looked it up in the dictionary and tried to understand, it's kind of vague. But a vowing, rather than vowing to do something, I'm vowing to open up to how I hurt somebody. So it is kind of a vow. I'm opening up to how I hurt somebody. Oh, yeah, Susan. One is, um, it's my understanding Christianity and repentance is it's just turning. So it would be being willing to change, which is slightly different from oh. admission, but it's also um, a value. I'm uh -huh. differently, or turning uh -huh. around, turning from death. Uh -huh. It's a little softer than a oh. repentance. Good. Um, but my question is more about Buddhism is you're trying to move into non-dualistic thinking and you've got a proposition with a sort of a yes or no in your head. Mm -hmm. So to say that it's maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, my mind wants to list the evidence on either side, right? Uh, it's too hot today. So um, the evidence is it's 90 degrees. Nobody could live that way. And the evidence is not. If people live this way, problems or whatever. That's not what you're talking about, is it? It's not. Well, listing, listing is fine, too. We want to list. But I'm talking about opening up to uh, inner being, what I'm talking about. And as long as we're caught by some idea of how things should be, this list is longer than this one. Maybe I can, maybe I can bolster the as long. This is the true list. Listening is fine. Uh, we need to exercise our intellectual faculties, but inner being is beyond listening. It's just open, just open um, to what is. And 
Maybe so, maybe not. Uh, but sometimes not maybe so, some, maybe not. I mean, maybe so, maybe not. I should show up to my talk this morning. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe so, maybe not. I should prepare my talk this morning or just show up. No, I always prepare. I always prepare. That would be rude not to prepare and 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 talk about negative self-talk if I didn't prepare. <laughs> I'd have to go back and do the Roman Catholic confession which worse. <laughs> so preparation less, that's all good stuff. But we're we're opening up beyond the we're ceasing to cherish our opinions. This happens organically through our practice. Yeah. Does that also mean planning for the future? What your dream is for your future should be loose looser. Well, yes. Uh, could you guys hear him? Uh, some of them could, some of them couldn't. Say it a little louder. But people have dreams for the next chapter in their life. Mm -hmm. Or goals. That's on starboard. But a dream for the future, should you should you move into that dream loosely? Well, uh, of course, yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And, you know, I often talk about this from Dogen's perspective. Uh and Katagiri Roshi's perspective, having a dim vision of our future. A dim vision of our future is better. <laughs> if we just kind of, because if we, it's too well articulated, it's gonna, we're gonna get all messed up. But we need a dim vision of our future, we all do. I have a dim vision of my future at 80, and that, that you know, it keeps me alive, that keeps me vigorous, but if I, start attaching to it and getting all, you know, a, a blueprint in my mind, then I'm, it's going to get all messed up. So uh, Dogen takes the word dim vision, which is pejorative in early Buddhism, and makes it positive. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pity. Um, your description of, of dualistic thinking also reminds me of what uh, cognitive behavioral therapy calls thinking errors. Yes. So Go ahead. Say something about that. Yeah. So um, things like um, uh, all or nothing thinking and catastrophizing are yes. things that, you know, in, in therapy, people work yes. on. Yes. So our, our practice is helping with that. Yes, that's right. And of course, coincidentally, I was a therapist. <laughs> and I sneak a little bit of that into my Zen teaching sometime, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah. Along those <clears throat> along those lines, Tim. Oh, Francie. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your talk. You're welcome. You talked about um, negative self-talk and I think it's such a huge theme and comes up when we sit and I think it um, what I found or learned through Zen and mindfulness is just that simple practice of noticing each thought and saying hello to it and saying oh just thinking mm -hmm. that can be a whole meditation in itself to help engage or let go, like you said, just you're talking about letting go. Yeah, yeah, so very good. I just, I just really wanted to say that because it's been such yeah. a part of. Yes, thank you. So what she's pointing out is how simple <laughs> practices can be. If they start getting complicated, we're not doing them. We're just getting intellectually on one. Do you want, I want you to say that again, Francie, because that's so simple and yet we forget it. So. Well, a simple practice of, of mindfulness and even uh, can even be like a concentration practice or just also part of an opening practice of just being. So you sit and you're just there and then you notice every thought that comes by, positive, negative, anything. Uh, and then you just label it thinking. You say hello to it. Oh, hi, thinking, just thinking. And then yes. you go back to your breath yes. or whatever your concentration point is. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that can be so helpful. Even I used to do that at work. 
uh, when I started really practicing uh -huh. meditation, I noticed how often I, it's really a shame to think, but how often I had negative uh, thoughts about people as I passed them in the hall. Yeah. And so it was a real, both compassion, but even just the simple practice, I mean, I did other things, but just the practice of saying, oh, thinking, just thinking, let it go and then add compassion. Yes. You can do this too for yourself and for your thoughts about others. Yes, I'm sorry, Tim, maybe make it simpler. <laughs> what did you say? I said maybe simplify what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, no, that's simple. That's very simple. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Time for one or two more. Uh, yes. Yes, thank you. Um, as somebody who I personally try to strive for as much dialectical as possible, and I'm curious if you could briefly clarify the not going from a non-dualistic to dialectical. Is it the goal is then to also be dialectical, or that is just an example of that non-dualist? Well, uh -huh. could you guys hear him? Uh, no, half, only half of them can hear you. Say it. Use your, use your big voice. Well, we pull it out for I strive for dialectical thinking, which is that two things that are otherwise opposite are true yes. at the same time. Yeah. And I'm curious if that is still an example of non-dualistic thinking, or if it is somewhat different or uh, somewhat removed. Yes, of course, that is a very good example. And we have also all taught, those of us who are teachers, Nagarjuna here. And Nagarjuna, and I've taught his tetralemma a lot, which is beyond the, dial the, the dual of two thoughts, but it includes all four. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, listening to you. Uh, uh, and I'm also not listening to you because I'm paying attention to everybody else. And I'm both listening to you and not listening to you at the same time. But, uh, and I, but if I'm really here, I'm neither listening to you nor listening to you. I'm just here, all four. And, all, and it's not like you progress from one, two, three, four. They're all four here. Everybody wants the last one. <laughs> but the last one is the first one. So that's dialectical. That's uh, Nagarjuna was the master of dialectical reasoning in Buddhism. Does that make sense? I I will simply have to keep studying. So. Oh, okay, all right, okay. Uh, so possibly one more. Okay, I'm going to turn it over. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you all have a really nice day.